Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, and whether you call Collective your church home or you are just checking us out, we hope you are encouraged and inspired to take the next step in your journey toward the grace and truth of Jesus. For more information about Collective, you can visit us online at mycollective.church or follow us on social media at mycollectivechurch. Now, let's get into today's message. In 1988, Nike introduced a three-word phrase that would later be called one of the most iconic slogans ever. Advertising Age labeled it as one of the top five ad campaigns of the 20th century and actually enshrined it in the Smithsonian. And the slogan was... Just do it. Yeah, that's super easy. So the Just Do It campaign launched in 1988 and has been wildly successful. And the main reason why is because it is an ad that connected with everyone. Athletes, professionals, students, sports fans, washed up athletes, musicians, fashionistas, everyone. And as Nike puts it, they created a tough Take No Prisoners ad campaign. And this campaign would actually increase Nike's share of the North American sports shoe business from 18% to 43%. They went from making $877 million a year to $9.2 billion in worldwide sales because of this slogan, Just Do It. When asked why the slogan has made such an impact in the sports apparel world, the pop culture world, and just the world in general... The creator of the slogan explained that it's because it's intensely personal. It's intensely personal. And that's true. Just do it isn't about shoes. It's not about clothing. It's not even about sports. It's about me and what I can do. It's about the decisions that I have to make. It puts pressure and ownership and expectations on me to just do it. Today, we're finishing up our Ruin the Game series, and today is all about you. It's not about the person sitting next to you. It's not about your neighbor down the street. It's not about the family member who you think needs to be in church today. It's about you. And more specifically, it's all about a decision that you are being faced with today. And see, I believe that every person here and every person who will listen to the podcast or watch it on YouTube later has a decision that they are facing. And I would even go as far to say that I know every single one of us that are sitting here today has some sort of big decision staring us in the face. And some are are monumental, some feel big, some feel small, but there's something in the way. There's something that's stopping us from experiencing the life that Jesus talks about in John 10.10 when he says he came to give us life and life to the full. And so today is all about pushing past those barriers so we can experience everything that Jesus has to offer because Jesus is challenging you to do something. The question is, how are you going to respond? Over the past few weeks of this series, we've learned about how Jesus turned religion upside down. And we've really focused on religious leaders who harassed Jesus, who doubted Jesus, even persecuted Jesus. And so over the past few weeks, it could have been really easy to hear these stories and think, it's not really about me, right? It's been really easy to kind of hear these stories and think, well, I'm not that person, right? I'm not the one who's upset that Jesus hung out with sinners. I'm not the one in the temple that's making it hard for people to experience grace. I'm not the one trying to find a loophole when it comes to loving God and loving people. But today isn't a story about them. It's about us. It's about me. It's about you. Today, I'm going to share a story about a man who's called the rich young ruler. 
And he's in three of the four biographies of Jesus, and one of the stories calls him young, and one of the stories calls him a ruler in a Jewish religious sense, and all three of them tell us that he's rich. And so what we do is we kind of put that together and we decide he's the rich young ruler. And before I begin teaching today, I want to share some observations about this guy. The first is that he's wealthy. Now, there is nothing wrong with being rich. There are followers of Jesus who are rich, Barnabas, who really got Paul, who planted all these churches, like, into the in crowd. Barnabas was rich. Joseph of of Arimathea was rich. He's the one who actually gave his tomb up so that Jesus could be buried there. Even Abraham, throughout the Bible, is called the father of faith, but in an interaction with God, God tells him that he's going to make him wealthy. Wealth is just a tool. It can be good or bad. You can be greedy or you can hoard money uh, or you can be generous, but that's up to you. The second observation is that he's a ruler. Now, he isn't a ruler in like the kingly sense. He doesn't have a kingdom. He's the ruler of a synagogue. He's in charge of a church, essentially. He was a high-ranking religious leader and an expert on Jewish law and the teachings of the Old Testament. And so he would have had most, if not all, of the Jewish law completely memorized, and he would have followed it in all of its intricacies with intense dedication. In other words, he was really good at following the rules. Now, this is similar to a lot of the guys that we've talked about in this series, but the rich young ruler is different, and you'll see why in a little bit. This is how the story begins in Mark 10. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem. Now, Mark, the writer, is letting us know that Jesus is in the final stages of his ministry and what ends up being his life. When you read the phrase in the Bible that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem or the disciples were with Jesus and they're going toward Jerusalem, anything that tells you that they're moving toward that city, what the writer is telling you is that this is the end of Jesus' life. What they're telling you is that he's working his way toward the cross and he'll eventually get there where he'll be persecuted and tortured and executed and that will take place in Jerusalem. And so as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the man starts by calling Jesus good teacher, and this is really important because he's actually acknowledging that he believes that Jesus is God. And during that time in Jewish culture, it was unusual to use the word good for anything outside of God. And so what he's doing is he's asking God, what must I do to get to heaven? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked, only God is truly good. Now, just to be honest, this is Jesus just being a little bit sassy. Like, Jesus is trying to make sure that this guy understands that he is calling him God. And this was because most Jewish religious leaders didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah, that the one that was sent to rescue humanity. This is the people that we've talked about, the religious leaders in this series. This is the difference between the two of them. Most religious leaders did not believe that Jesus was God, but this guy does. But to answer your question, this is what Jesus is saying, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. So what Jesus does, he actually lists all of the Ten Commandments that deal with interpersonal relationships. And what's really important to know is Jesus isn't telling him, hey, if you follow all these rules, you can earn heaven. That's not what he's teaching him. What he's actually doing is he's trying to figure out, are you obedient? Like, are you following the commandments that I've given you? And realistically, connecting it to last week, he's asking this guy, do you love me? Do you obey me? 
Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Now let's spend a little bit of time on that response. I've obeyed all the commandments since I was young. A lot of books and a lot of sermons, and if you've ever heard a story about this guy, this is most likely true, they give this guy a really hard time. Right? Most of the time you hear and people will say that he's self-righteous, that he's a liar, that he's full of himself because of that response. In fact, in preparing for today, I listened to a sermon on this topic in hopes of kind of hearing something different or maybe like hearing an application that I thought I could bring to collective. But the preacher spent the majority of the sermon criticizing him because he had the guts to tell Jesus, I am good. I am following these things. Now, regarding these commandments that Jesus gave the rich young ruler, in the Sermon on the Mount, which actually comes a little bit earlier, he'd actually elevated these commandments and gave them a little bit of a deeper meaning. It's, it's actually one of the ways that he ruined the game. He said, you've heard what it said in the Old Testament, and I'm going to elevate it right now for you. So one of the things he says is he says, I know the law says don't murder, but I want you to follow the heart of the law and don't even harbor anger. And Jesus said, it's true that the law says not to commit adultery, but I want you to obey the heart of the law and don't even lust. But Jesus, in this moment, lists the basic commands, the things that he would understand, and the man says, I've kept these. The rich young ruler doesn't say that he's perfect. He doesn't say that he's never lusted. He doesn't say that he's never harbored dishonor for his parents in his heart. What he's saying to Jesus is, I've followed you and your teachings. He's saying, I've loved you. And so for me personally, I don't get the impression that he's self-righteous. I don't think he approached Jesus just to brag. He knelt when he met Jesus. He calls him good teacher. And so I don't buy into the idea that this guy is some pompous, self-righteous jerk who's looking for justification. I believe he was a genuine, spiritual man who knows there is something missing in his life. What ends up happening, like many of us, is we hear about Jesus, and so we go to him and we ask, what am I missing? And I think the next verse proves this. It says this, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. You see, in the Bible, whenever Jesus encounters a hypocrite, Jesus sees right through them and puts them on blast. In fact, one of my favorite things that Jesus ever said was calling out a hypocrite, and he said, you are like a tombstone that has been cleaned. You look nice, but you're dead on the inside. So Jesus doesn't put up with these types of people. He doesn't put up with hypocrites. He doesn't put up with people who are trying to manipulate him. But this man, it says that Jesus has a genuine love for him. I think Jesus wants to help him because he realized this guy is looking for something more. He's got power. He's got money. He's got youth. But he wants something more. Now listen, if you are here today for the first time or the 100th time and you feel like you're missing something, Right? You've got the marriage you wanted, you've got the job you wanted, you're popular in school, you've got the degrees, but you still feel like something's missing. If you take away one thing from this entire sermon, and realistically, this entire series, let it be this, Jesus loves you. And the phrase in this sentence is exactly how he feels for you. Jesus has a genuine love for you. And I know, I know that that phrase has lost its meaning. I know that you read it on the bumper sticker when you're driving in traffic and you just roll your eyes. But that's true about Jesus for you. And this is a genuine and compassionate, it's a, and I can't care for you, it's an I came to die for you, it's an I created you so I will show you the best way to live kind of love. 
And this is really important to this story and specifically how it finishes up. It's really important to know because the rich young ruler is about to be faced with a decision. And and talking about the decisions in your own life, you are faced with whatever decision God has put in front of you. But it's important to note that Jesus has a genuine love for you. Because of that, everything he is challenging you to do comes from that love because he wants what's best for you. And here's how the story ends. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now imagine being the rich young ruler in this moment, right? Like you're waiting for Jesus to give you this answer, and there's probably a million things that he's running through his mind. This probably isn't the thing that he wanted to hear, right? And so Jesus says, hey, sell everything. And you know he has this moment where he's like, wait, what? Like everything, like the house I just got, my car, Jesus, I just got the Apple Watch, like that too. And he's he's wrestling with this, and this is what happens. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Now, most of the time that this story is shared, the focus is on money, right? If you've been to church, you've heard this story, that's usually the case that people bring this up in. And it's the way that I've always heard it presented. In fact, I've preached this sermon before and I've talked about money. And I've heard this story, I've heard people use this story to debate whether or not God wants you right now to sell everything you've got in order to follow Jesus. But this story is so much bigger than that. And here's why. The rich young ruler recognizes that he's missing something. He looks to Jesus on how to take this next step in his life and experience the freedom that God offers. And Jesus gives him a choice. And so this guy faces a fork in the road moment where he has a decision to make. Because the reality is about this guy, and we see through the interaction, is that he was more devoted to his money than Jesus. Jesus wasn't the most important part of his life. It was a good second, right? Maybe 51, 49%, but it wasn't number one. And Jesus says, I don't just want a piece of you, I want all of you. And so if there's something standing in the way of me having my relationship with you be complete, I want you to remove that from your life. And for this specific person, it was his wealth. That was his thing. That was the thing that was standing in between him and a full relationship with Jesus. Now, for some of you, that might be the case. Right? For some of you, your money might be the thing that stands in between you and the relationship and the life that Jesus wants for you. But this story is so much more than a decision about money. It's about decisions that we all face on a regular basis where we have to choose, am I going to fully follow Jesus right now or not? In your pursuit of faith, you will be faced with decisions every single day. Because the truth is, Jesus doesn't want to just keep you where you are. He wants to take you to a place of greater trust in him. He wants to reach into that childhood pain that you don't want to deal with. He wants to heal that past relationship that you're pretending to ignore. He wants to deal with how you treat other people. And he says it's time to deal with that secret that makes you cringe and makes your palms sweaty every time you hear it. He wants your finances to go to a different place in reliance on him. But here's the thing. It's difficult. It can hurt. But we all have decisions to make. Do we step toward trust or do we walk away sad? Luke 9, 23, Jesus says this. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And here's what he means. Following Jesus is an everyday kind of thing. 
It's a decision that you make every day to follow Jesus in your marriage, to follow Jesus by having integrity at work, to follow Jesus in the way that you raise your kids, to follow Jesus in the relationships that you have with the trust that you give, with the forgiveness that you share. And it is an everyday decision. I once heard a speaker named Kyle Eidelman explain it like this. He said, every day we have to make decisions to follow Jesus in every single aspect of our lives. Now, the most important one is when you initially decide to put your faith in Jesus. To be honest, that's why here at Collective, we go nuts when anybody ever gets in that tub and gets baptized. It's the most important decision you will ever make. But the misconception most of us have is that we are giving our lives to God and we represent it as like a $100 bill, right? And so we give this $100 bill to God and we say, now you have my life, now you have it all. But the correct adjustment to this illustration would be God saying back to us, go and exchange that $100 bill for pennies and give me one of those every single day. It is a daily thing. It is a daily decision to love God. So what is Jesus challenging you to do today? What decision are you being faced with? Because we're all wrestling with something. And the question is, what's stopping us from trusting him in the areas of our lives where he's asking us for more? More faith? More obedience? More time? More trust? I think there are two major barriers that get in the way of us fully trusting Jesus with our lives in every single aspect of our lives, and that's fear and ego. Let's start by talking about fear. Stephen Furtick says that fear comes to us disguised as a two-word question of what if. And that two-word question leads to inaction, and what happens is it actually becomes crippling. What if? What if I start reading my Bible and I don't understand it? What if I open up to my friends and I share that thing from my childhood and they judge me and use my vulnerabilities to hurt me? What if I trust God with my finances, then an unexpected bill comes up? What if I follow Jesus, but things get harder? What if I follow Jesus and things get easier, but that comes with more challenges to grow? What if I get baptized and my family judges me because they think I'm just too broken? Or what if they judge me and tell me that I'm turning my back on the decision they made for me when I was a baby, which I didn't even have a say in? What if breaking up with him strengthens my faith but leaves me alone? What if? And that fear and that question leads us to inaction. And I think the truth is the rich young ruler was afraid to leave his wealth behind but realistically, I think he was afraid to leave the life he knew behind, to leave safety behind, to leave comfort behind. And because of that, we see how it plays out. He walks away sad. But he isn't the only one in the Bible to respond in fear. Check this out. Adam hid from God because he was afraid to see him after he sinned. Sarah was afraid when she got caught laughing at God. Isaac was afraid to admit that Rebekah was his wife, so he lied. Jacob was afraid that Esau would kill him. Moses was afraid that no one would listen to him because he had a stutter. Saul was afraid of the people and offered a sacrifice that he wasn't supposed to. Saul was also afraid of David because the people loved David more. Elijah was afraid of the wicked queen Jezebel and fled for his life. King David was afraid of God, so he didn't bring the Ark of the Covenant back home like he should have. And the list goes on and on, person after person, group after group. Group. The Bible is full of people just like us. And the truth is they let fear get in the way and it leads them to an action. A few years ago, Cornell did a study about regret. And in this study, they actually interviewed thousands of people who were over the age of 65. And they asked them about the regrets they had in their lives. 
When the study was concluded, they found that 54% of the regrets that people shared were tied to inaction. 12% were tied to action. The rest was kind of in between. Furthermore, 75% of the people indicated that they experienced a higher level of regret over the things they did not do because of fear, because they couldn't control the outcome. The study also found that regrettable failures to act outnumbered regrettable actions by a nearly two-to-one margin. And so here's what that means. Twice as many people had regrets about the chances they didn't take, the steps they didn't take, the movement that they didn't put into their own lives. And I think this is the rich young ruler. Right? He walks away sad because he realized he has immediate regret. He knew he wanted to follow Jesus but was too afraid, and he had to deal with that for the rest of his life. And the truth is, following Jesus can be scary, but Jesus wants to give you more than a get-out-of-hell-free card. He wants to give you the best life possible. He wants to give you the best relationships possible, the best spiritual life possible, the best financial health possible, the best marriage possible. But all of these opportunities come with a choice between the life you want in the short term and the life God will offer you in the long term. See, God knows what is best, and the life God knows is best is better for you every single time. Because God doesn't want to merely redeem your past. He wants to rewrite your future. But you have to have the courage to trust him. Joshua 1.9, God says this. He says, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So here's the thing. If God is challenging you, if he's pushing you to follow him fully in an area of your life or even just in your life in general, he's not going to leave you when you make the decision to do so. He will be with you wherever you go. So don't get to the end of your life and look back wishing you had trusted Jesus more with your relationships or your finances or your marriage or raising your kids or even just in faith in general. You can't allow the what if from stopping you from experiencing everything that Jesus has to offer you because we know how that story plays out. So the first barrier is fear. The second barrier is ego. And here's what I mean by that. Ego is believing that we know best. And in this scenario, it's actually believing that we know better than God. And so the rich young ruler thought he had it all figured out. He followed the rules. He had money, success, and fame. But when Jesus said, sell everything, his response was, I can't do that. And this wasn't because he couldn't physically do it. It's because he didn't want to. Right? He wanted to live a life that was full of Jesus and full of everything else that he had. But what we learn time after time through stories like this and in the Bible is that trusting Jesus takes humility because following him is going to hurt. It's going to cost us something. The question is, will you be humble? Not just on the front end. Right? Anyone can run up to Jesus and kneel before him. Anyone can raise their hand in worship. Anyone can take notes on a Sunday morning. That's easy. But when Jesus gives you a hard choice, will you follow him? Or do you think that your way is best? I think the way I see this play out the most at Collective uh, is in regard to baptism. A few weeks ago, I was talking with the staff when one of them asked, like, what's the biggest thing that stands in the way of people taking that step and, and getting baptized on a Sunday morning? And without hesitation, the answer is easy. It's, it's ego. And I see it most in people who have been going to church for a while. Maybe they've even been following Jesus for a long time, but they've never actually taken that step. And here's why I, say, why I say that. Jesus taught his followers to baptize people. 
Matthew 28, verse 19. This is one of the last things Jesus ever said to his disciples. It's like one of the last commands he ever gave them before he was executed on a cross and resurrected from the dead. And he tells them, this is, this is like the, the last thing you guys could do. It's go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like this is the last thing he leaves them with. If we can give them one sentence of how they can continue this church and continue to lead people closer to him, this is it. The second thing is this, though. Jesus was also baptized. Matthew, 13, or Matthew 3, it says, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, said This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. So to be honest... It takes an extreme amount of ego to read Jesus' teaching and to see he was baptized himself and choose not to follow his lead. Baptism is one of the best steps that you can take. It's one of the easiest steps that you can take. You get in a trough here at Collective. You're immersed in water, which symbolizes your own death, burial, and resurrection, the death of your old self, the raising up your new life as a new creation. This church goes nuts because they love it here, and nothing is greater but the truth is, people let ego get in the way. You have a choice. You can refuse to acknowledge that maybe, just maybe this is a step you should have taken in the past or really should be taking right now, or you can believe that your way is best. And this has nothing to do with right or wrong. It has everything to do with trusting Jesus. And here's the thing. At Collective, you don't have any excuses because we talk about baptism almost every Sunday. And we do that because baptism is mentioned over 100 times in the New Testament. And when something is mentioned over 100 times in the Bible alone, let alone the New Testament, we have no choice but to teach it, to look at it. Because the other option is to ignore it and write off an entire chunk of the Bible. So for some of you, this is the decision that you're faced with. This is the thing that we talk about on Sunday mornings when you start to feel uncomfortable. That's because you're face-to-face with something God is asking you to do. So the question is, will you put your faith in Jesus Will you follow his lead? Today, during second service, we're going to celebrate as Patty and Jimmy take this step. And it's going to be amazing. Their whole family goes to this church. It's going to be nuts. Next week, we're going to celebrate during this service when Isaac is baptized. And for some of you, this is the decision right now that you're being faced with. But it's not just about that. I know that some of you are facing tough decisions right now in every area of your life. Right? The truth is your husband deserves you to walk out on him, but Jesus says to serve him. You got an unexpected bill, but Jesus says keep trusting me and be generous. Your teenager continues to show you dishonor, and Jesus says to love her. Your ex is still trying to manipulate you. Jesus says turn the other cheek. That leader in your life has never asked you for forgiveness. Jesus says you honor them based on your character and not their conduct. Jesus says have humility to follow me. It's not going to be easier, but his way is better. I mentioned earlier that I don't know why people give the rich young ruler such a hard time, right? They act like he's self-righteous, that he's arrogant, that he's a know-it-all. But when I read that story, that's not really what I see. And after writing this sermon, I think I know why people are so hard on this guy. I think I know why we try to write him off. Because if he is truly selfish, if he's truly non-introspective, if he's truly a jerk, then we believe that we don't relate to that. Right, We read that story and we think, he's arrogant. Like I, I don't act that way, you don't act that way. 
So if the rich young ruler acts like that and we don't act like him, then we don't have to apply this story to our lives. That's what we're doing. We're trying to find a way out. If we can write that guy off as completely different and completely selfish, we can make this story about other people in our lives and not ourselves. What that means is we don't have to truly pay attention to it. But if this guy has good intentions, then he's like me. And if he came to Jesus looking for something more, then he's really like me. And so if he's really like me and Jesus said something difficult to him, that means Jesus is probably saying something difficult to me. Right? That means Jesus may be asking me today to make a decision that I don't want to make. And the truth is, the decision that we make today could be the most important decision we ever make for the rest of our lives. But instead of leaning into that, we decide it's unrelatable. But the truth is, he's just like us. There's something standing in the way between us and what God is asking us to do. In March... A story made national news when a man named Ryan Long died from exposure while stranded in Arizona. Ryan and a friend were driving home from a popular tourist site called Meteor Crater when they swerved off the road and their truck got stuck. And realizing they were in the middle of nowhere, they got out and they started to walk. But after 24 hours, they never made it back to the road. No one ever saw them. And so realizing that, the friends and family began to call the police, try to figure out, like, can you find them? Can you help them? And eventually the police actually found Ryan Long's number, and so they called him to try to figure out, where are you so you can be rescued? He answered the phone. He refused their help, and he hung up. Countless phone calls were made to Ryan, but each time the phone rang, he hit decline until the phone call started going straight to voicemail. Three days later, the police located Ryan and his friend. Ryan had died. His friend was suffering from extreme hypothermia. When the police police were later asked about this in an interview, they asked if Ryan had any warrants or really any reason to avoid the police. And the answer was no. He wasn't in trouble. He didn't do anything wrong. He just didn't want their help. And this story is ridiculous. But the truth is we do this every single day. Every day we have a choice to accept the help that Jesus offers and to trust him or to try to figure it out on our own. And But trying to figure it out on our own doesn't work. And we all know that. We might not recognize it. We might not want to say it out loud, but that is the reality of our lives. It doesn't work in our relationships. It doesn't work in our finances. It doesn't work in our faith. So what are you going to do with the decision that you're faced with today? Do you let fear win out? Do you let your own ego get in the way? Do you walk away sad? Or do you trust Jesus and take a step closer to the life to the fullest, the life that Jesus offers to each and every one of us every single day? Let's pray. God, um, I think the truth is we know that you want what's best for us. God, I, I think the truth is deep down inside, we know that, um, that you want all of us in every aspect of our life, not just our Sunday mornings for an hour. But God, it's hard to give that to you. God, it's hard because we have fears. God, we, we, we're afraid that we're going to fall short. We're afraid that people are going to judge us. We're afraid that following you leads to more change in our life that we don't want to make. God, uh, it comes down to our ego. We think that the way we're living life is better. But God, I think every person in this room could take a step back and realize that this world is not better without you. 
God, the pain that we experience and the brokenness that we experience from this world is not from you. It's not what you want for us. But for some reason, we keep putting ourselves back in that position to trust ourselves instead of you. So God, I know everybody in here today is facing some sort of decision when it comes to their faith in you. For some, it's a big step of actually putting their faith in you. But for a lot of people here, it just comes down to trust in relationships, in their marriage, when it comes to their time. So God, I pray today as we wrestle with this decision that we all know, we all face, God, I pray that as we leave and we walk out those double doors and go outside, that that decision that we've been wrestling with today or last week or for months, that we don't ignore it. God, that we lean in and we truly try to figure out what you want from us and what you're asking us. God, I pray that every single person in this room, as they take these steps, they get to the end of their life one day and they realize that they have no regrets. No regrets in their relationship with you. No regrets when it comes to their faith. No regrets in their trust for you. God, and I pray that they see that play out in all aspects of their lives. God, help us have the courage to trust you more. Um, Help us have the courage to accept the help that you offer. God, help us have the courage to follow you. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.